And uh, if you're guests with us, uh, we are in a series on Joseph, the life of Joseph there in the Old Testament. And so I'll try to just briefly review, but we're in Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph is sold by his brothers and he's in slavery. And uh, we're going to look a little bit at how this even applies to us today. So Genesis chapter 39, we're looking at Joseph, there's the theme, overarching theme of our series, God's sovereign hand in our lives. Would you read along with me? Uh, You can follow along silently in your Bible or there with us. We have it for you as well. It says this, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. Remember those words. It's used numerous times in this passage. Even though it didn't look like God was with Joseph, God was with him and God was at work. So he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian masters. Notice the terms masters and servant, slave. It says Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything that he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and the property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and his livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about anything except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man, which we'll look at next week as well. But we see Joseph sold as a slave. And we're going to look a little bit about what discipline God used in that area of his life to, 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 to grow him and to mature him. But I want to remind you of something that even in, as we read there, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. When we look at the life of Joseph, we see him hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit at one, for, for a moment there, thinking to be left to die, then being ripped out of that pit and then sold on the slave market, sold as a slave in, in a foreign land. And then we see Joseph now, as we're going to look here in a few moments, serving and, and, and living the life of a slave. It's easy for us to maybe say, well, how can we say that God was with him? But We know the rest of the story, if you're familiar with it. And if you read the next number of chapters, we do see that God was at work in his life. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, that there are going to be times where it does not look like God is at work. And it does not look like God is in control. But even in those dark moments, in those dark days, understand that God is sovereign, that God is still on the throne, and that God is at work. Even when it may appear in your own life that maybe God is not at work. Understand this is that God was fulfilling his promises. And God will fulfill his promise. As we looked at the life of Joseph and as we're studying this series, we'll see that that God has a a plan uh, and a purpose for Joseph. 
And that purpose is to, to, to keep his promises that he made. Not just the promise that he made to Joseph, that Joseph will be a great leader, and that Joseph will have people bow down to him, but that God will also keep his promise to Abraham and to the nation of Israel and to God's people. God is strategically putting Joseph in a place where eventually he will save his people from the famine. And not only will he save his people from the famine, but remember the promise through Abraham that God made a promise. He said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And he says, and I will bless you. He says, but this, remember this. He says, but there will be a blessing to all people. And we were able this morning to take a few moments and to take and remember what Jesus did for us. Because understand this, that part of the fulfillment of the promise was the promise of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so when we look at what God is doing in the story of Joseph, it's a big picture. It's a, a huge picture. And what's happening to Joseph in his day-to-day -day life, he may not understand it all. And you may not understand everything that's going on in your day-to-day -day life. But please know this, please know this, that God is at work even when it does not appear like God's at work. Amen? God is moving. And God is at work. And God does keep his promises. We see as well that God was preparing Joseph for a place of leadership. God is preparing him, as we studied last week, for what God has prepared for him. You see, Joseph, in 13 years from this moment here as a slave, in 13 years, Joseph is going to become the second most powerful man on planet Earth at that time. Think about that. Think about the responsibility. Think about the power that he's going to have and the ability that he's going to have in that place of leadership. And so God was preparing him. And as I, I share with you, it's 13 years, 13 years from the time that Joseph is thrown into that pit and, and he was having these dreams and visions. It took 13 years to the time that he stands before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I'm going to choose you to be the, the leader. I'm going to choose you to be the one to, to, to lead this known world out of the famine that's about to come. 13 years. You see, God used that process. As I said to you last week, I want to remind you of something, that God's timing is not our timing. Are you with me? How many of you experienced that already? That, that God is not in a hurry, and he isn't. And my timing is not God's timing, that's for sure, because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things I wish the Lord would just hurry up with, amen? And I think you all have experienced that. God's timing is not our timing. And I'm sure that Joseph would have much rather skipped the 13 years as we're going to look at next week of the suffering and the 13 years of, of serving and the 13 years uh, that he spends in, in this window of time. But understand this, these 13 years were all about preparation for what God is going to do for Joseph. He, before he positions Joseph in that place that he's going to be, God has to put Joseph through a process. We said this, that there is a promise. And we love the promises of God, but many times from the time of the promise to when we see those promises fulfilled, there's a process in the middle. For Joseph, it was a 13-year process of God 
conforming him, God molding him, God making him. As we studied in John last week, that God is the gardener and he prunes. And so God is going to prune and mold and make Joseph into the leader that God wants him to be. God is preparing him through this process. And let me remind you of something. That process that God puts us through many times takes patience. How many of you say, I have lots of patience? Nobody's even raising their hand. You don't even dare, do you? <laughs> How many of you have ever heard this? How many of you have ever heard someone say, don't pray for patience, right? How many of you have ever heard that saying? I know I have. Don't pray for patience. Why? Because patience comes through trial and through trouble and tribulation. The Bible, James speaks of that, that. That's what brings patience in our lives is when we go through struggle, when we go through trial. Understand this, that God is doing a work in, in Joseph's life. And long before God can work through Joseph, God wants to work in Joseph. Okay, understand that. And many of the times before God wants to work through us, God is going to do a work in us. Amen? Everybody got that? Before God's going to do a work through us, he has to do a work in us. And this is what we see in these 13 years. There's a number of disciplines. There's three disciplines. We're only looking at one this morning. And we'll spend just a few moments on this discipline. But there's a discipline of service. He put Joseph in a place where Joseph is going to be a slave. He has masters over him. And the Bible says that he served his masters. It's interesting because what did Jesus say about his kingdom and his kingdom work? Do you remember when Jesus was here and he's ministering with his disciples and they knew that he was going to establish a kingdom and he spoke about this kingdom? But what did they do? They argued and they fought and they bickered. But what did they fight and argue about? What was it? About who was going to be what? The greatest. Who's going to be first? Who's going to be, you know, who's, who's higher on that hierarchy? Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus told them time and time again that in his kingdom, those who are going to be in the highest place are those who will serve. He said, you will serve. Jesus himself said this. Jesus said, I, I came not to be ministered unto, but to do what? But to minister. He said, I didn't come so that people can serve me, I came to serve people. And so Joseph here in this passage, we see the term master, and notice it even says masters, that he served his masters. He had numerous masters over him and people he served. We don't know how many years Joseph was in this place of a slave or as a servant. We know that things got a little better for him where he was given some authority, but he was still always at the mercy of his masters. What's interesting is in Scripture, you'll find this, that in the Word of God, over 500 times, I found somewhere like 505 times, the word servant is used. There's a number of people in the Bible that the Bible refers to as servants. It's quite a list. I'll just read them quickly to you. Abraham was called a servant. Jacob, who later became Israel, he was a servant. We see here in this story, Joseph was a servant. 
Moses was a servant of the Lord. Joshua was a servant. Joshua served Moses for many years before God used him then to take over that leadership role. Do you remember Caleb, one of the two, two that went in and spied the land? He and Joshua, he was a servant. Samuel was called a servant. David, the warrior king, called himself and referred to himself as a servant. Solomon, the, the, the wise king, was a servant. Nehemiah, who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, a servant. Job called himself a servant. Isaiah, the prophet, a servant. Daniel was a servant. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, prophet of the Lord, servant. Zerubbabel, I joked earlier, say Zerubbabel three or four times in a row. Zerubbabel, yes, Zerubbabel, who God used to help restore the temple in a tremendous way. Zerubbabel called himself a servant. There's people in the New Testament, names that aren't very familiar, but Phoebe and Epaphras were called servants. Paul calls himself many times, as you look at his writings, he says, Paul, the servant of the Lord. Although Paul was an apostle, he, he sees himself as a servant because to be a servant was a greater calling than to even be an apostle. Peter and John were called servants. What's interesting to me is James and Jude. If you look at their letters and you read and study about James and Jude, do you know who they were? James and Jude were half-brothers. They were the brothers of Jesus Christ. And when you read their letters, they say this, James or Jude, they say, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the highest calling that we have is to be a servant. God is disciplining Joseph. Joseph needed some humility in his life. Remember, Joseph was bragging to his brothers, you're going to bow before me. Even one day he interprets and tells his dream to his father. And he says that not only will his brothers bow, but his parents will bow. And even his father rebukes him. Now understand, they were promises from God. But Joseph, who received this coat of many colors, Joseph, who was favored, Joseph, who had these visions and dreams and promises from God, understand this, there was an area in his, some areas in his life that God needed to mold him. Remember last week we talked about in Jeremiah where Jeremiah uses the beautiful picture of the potter and the clay and how God takes that clay and he molds it and he wants to take off the rough edges and he wants to make it into a vessel of honor. The gardener trims and prunes back the trees and the branches so that they bear more fruit. God is pruning Joseph. God is moving in Joseph's life. God is doing a work in Joseph so that he can do a work through Joseph. He causes Joseph to be in a place where he must be a servant, where he is literally a slave, where he is serving others. How humbling that must have been for Joseph. Joseph, who is used to being favored, is now washing feet cleaning up tables and, and being bossed around. Joseph, who used to kind of tell other people what to do, is now being told what to do. How humbling that must have been. Look with me in John chapter 13. We're going to go to John chapter 13. And remember, we just had communion together. We had the Lord's Supper together. 
And in this upper room, I want you to see what Jesus did with his disciples. We often think of communion and the, the Last Supper. We think of a lot of the words that Jesus said. We think of the bread. We think of the, the, the juice. We think of them having that fellowship together. But oftentimes we forget about this part of that upper room experience. What did Jesus do in that upper room? Notice what happens. The Bible says this. John tells us, so he got up from the table. Picture this in your minds. And he took off his robe. He takes off his robe and he wraps a towel around his waist. And he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Can you picture this? This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the one who created all things. The Bible says he spoke all things into existence. The one who breathed into us the breath of life, we became living flesh and living souls. The one who created all things, God himself, the Bible says he humbled himself. And here Jesus, in this upper room, as he's having this last meal with them, Jesus humbles himself. Jesus takes off his robe. To put it in just our terms, he stripped himself of everything, literally. He's in wearing literally next to nothing. And he takes a towel and he wraps it around his, his waist. And in order to wash his disciples' feet, I want you to think about this. Think of the posture. Think what Jesus has to do because the towel is around his waist. In order to wash his disciples' feet, what does he have to do? He has to bow down before them. He has to kneel before them and he kneels and he begins to wash their feet in the towel that's around his waist. He takes the towel and he begins to dry their feet. Do you see the posture of the Lord? Do you see his humility? Then understand this. We'll read it here in a few moments in another passage. But someday the Bible says every knee is going to bow to the Lord Jesus. But isn't it interesting that Jesus himself was willing to bow even before his disciples to honor them and to wash their feet to serve them. What humility this took. Look what the Bible says in the rest of the chapter a little bit farther down in John. It says this. After washing their feet, why did Jesus do this? He says he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? He even asks them. He wants them to really let this sink in. He's, he asked them, do you understand what I was doing? Now notice what he says. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And he says, you're right because, because that's what I am. He says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example. This is the whole point. Jesus said, I was trying to be a living example. He says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves, look at this. He says, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. 
Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. If you want to, the full blessing of God, he says, follow my example. Be what I have, have done to you. Do what I have done to you. And the idea is this. The example was that of servanthood, humbling ourselves and willing to serve others. He says, preferring others over ourselves. To not be selfish, to not be self-centered and only about what I want and about me. But what about the needs of others? The Bible tells us this and Solomon says in Proverbs 15, he says, before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. You see, Jesus humbled himself and we're going to read here in a moment. He humbled himself, but later we see that God exalted him. Joseph is put in a place of servanthood. Joseph is, is a slave, and God is humbling him and teaching him that, that this discipline of being a servant so that someday when he's in that great role and that great responsibility and he has this power, that Joseph doesn't let that power go to his head. And that Joseph, as he has this power, it's controlled through humility. Before honor is humility. Joseph must bow and wash other people's feet. But do you understand something? We'll read it later and we continue in the series. There's a point where Joseph is then given a place of, of a tremendous honor. He has his own chariot and he has messengers that go before him. And wherever Joseph goes, think about this, wherever he goes, they blow the trumpets and they cry out his name, Zaphaphaniah, Zaphaphaniah, here he comes. Here's the man. And many people believe in the, that language, it means savior. The savior of the world has come. They refer to Joseph as a savior because he was saving them from the famine. And that God was using him. And the Bible says this, that every single person that came into the presence of Joseph, you know what they had to do? They had to bow. His own brothers, remember, when they come into his presence, not even knowing who it was, what did they have to do? They bowed. Do you know what I believe? That Joseph was in a place years later of humility. Why? Because he learned the discipline of himself bowing before others. Do you see what God is doing in the life of Joseph? Do you understand that God may be doing things in our lives to bring humility, to remove arrogance and pride in our lives? And one of the ways that God does this is through us serving. Look with me in Philippians, one last passage. Philippians chapter 2. Look what the scripture says. Paul says this to the church. He's speaking to you and I. He says, don't be selfish. That's a whole message right there. You could preach that right there. Oh, quit being so selfish. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try. Look at this. Here's pride. Be careful for arrogance. Don't try to impress others, Paul says. He says, be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Not only what, what's best for you and what you want, but what about others, he says. But take an interest in others too. He says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, this is the attitude he had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble, notice, notice the, the wording here, the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, that was the humility here comes the honor. You ready? He was humbled, but notice before honor is humility. We see the humility, here's now the honor. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of the highest honor and gave him a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said right there, amen. We see his humility, but we see him honored. We see that, that, that the Lord Jesus was willing, willing to bow and to wash his disciples' feet. But there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming, and I pray it's coming soon. But understand, Jesus was a servant. Jesus told his disciples to be the greatest in my kingdom is to be willing to serve and to serve. Spurgeon said it like this, the measure of a man's greatness is not by how many men serves him, but by how many men he serves. Jesus told his disciples, you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, then you must be a servant. Jesus himself lived out this example. Joseph was learning the discipline of being a servant, of serving. Let me remind you of, of something as well, and that is this. We do not need a title or a position to serve. Oftentimes people think, well, I, I should have some type of title or position. Listen, you know what's a beautiful thing? Some of the most amazing servants I've found in the Lord's work are people who have no title or no position, and many times no one even knows that they're doing it. You know, I love Chris. I love that guy. He stands and serves his church, passing out bulletins almost every single Sunday, making sure everybody, as much as he can, everyone has one. You know, in between services, you know what he was doing this morning? No one asked him. No one told him. He has no position or title here at Red Hills Church. But he is a member of this church, and he loves the Lord. And you know what? He loves you, and he serves you. Do you guys know that? You know what Chris does? He goes around and makes sure and picks up all the communion cups so that you have your own little spot so that when you come, you can put your empty communion cup or your communion cup in there. Do you want to know something? God sees that. God knows that. No one told him he should do it. No one said, this is what you have to do. He just saw a need, and he does it. By the way, could you imagine how many communion cups would be in here after about a year if Chris didn't do that? Come on now. They'd be piled up everywhere. <laughs> he goes through, and he picks them all up. You don't have to have a title to serve. You don't have to have a position to serve. Somebody say amen so we can get the lunch. Amen. Some of the most amazing servants are people who get little or no recognition, no position, no power, but God sees it. And God knows. 
to be a servant. To serve others is humbling. I'm sure Joseph was very humbled as he's washing people's feet. And God's preparing him because someday people are going to bow before him. My father ingrained in us as a family to serve. We would serve our church and to just serve. And it's one thing I have to probably get better at and with my younger ones coming up, you know, is getting them to a place of learning to serve, to serve other people and to serve. My father was a pastor, and so we would, we would clean the church. And I, there's times we'd go in and moving chairs and setting up chairs. It would snow up in Pennsylvania, and I'd be out shoveling snow and shoveling the sidewalks. And I'd say to my dad, why, why, you know, why can't someone else do this? And my dad said, well, why, why, don't you, why, would, why would you be robbed of the blessing? You get the blessing of doing this. I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then he'd say to me, He'd say, well, you pay money to go work out at that gym down the road. He says, you can do this for free, you know. You don't even have to pay for this. It's a free workout. I'm like, I was dumb. i oh, okay. I love this. My dad was teaching us to serve, to shovel the snow and to clean and to fix the chairs and to do those things. It was just in our nature. It's what our father taught us. And then later God called me into ministry. And I remember when I went off to Bible college and I'll just share one story of God just totally humbling you and, and preparing you for ministry. And it's right before lunch. So hang on. Everybody all right? One of the jobs God gave me when I was working my way through college, my wife and I both, was to work at a steak and seafood restaurant. It was a steakhouse. We were servers, and you talk about learning how to deal with people and learning to serve. And I remember you get some of these cranky people and these moody people, and you get people, nothing was good. And I remember one time I brought out the coffee, and lady, literally she's like, this coffee's too hot. You know, it was too cold the first time. She goes, it's too cold. And I was like, oh, 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 oh I'm so sorry. So I took it back. I brought it back. And the next time I said, is your coffee cup? No, it's too hot. She was like mad at me. It's too hot. And, you know, you just want to, oh, and I was just like, well, if you wait a couple minutes, it'll be just right, you know. Oh. And she, you know, and then it's the person, she leaves like a quarter tip, you know, and you're like, oh, you're trying to work your way through college, you know. And I'll never forget those times over and over where I'd be like, Lord, why are you doing this to me? And I remember the Lord would literally, in my spirit, say, well, remember Joseph. It wasn't easy for Joseph, 13 years, you know, it wasn't easy as a slave, wasn't easy as a servant, wasn't easy going through prison. And I remember God saying, okay, I'm doing a work in you, I'm humbling you, I'm teaching you to serve, I'm, I'm preparing you for your future. And I'll never forget this, uh, the one day, it's busy, and the manager came up to me and she says, I need you to go in and, and clean the restroom. I'm like, what do you mean clean the restroom? She goes, well, someone came, someone came and complained and said that there's a mess in the bathroom that needs cleaned. And I said, well, how, what about, can someone else do it? I'm supposed to be serving the tables and serving. She says, the problem is you're the only guy on shift right now and it's in the men's restroom. Well, I will say, if there was one thing that I wish it was more current, I could have just said, well, you can identify as a man, you know, as a female. No. <laughs> you can identify as a man. Well, of course, that was a long time ago, right? So that wasn't going to work. I couldn't use that one. And so she goes, no, you're the only guy. So there's no one else who can go into the men's restroom. And I remember already kind of terrified. I remember putting on some gloves. And I walk into the bathroom, and I'm looking 
you know, and I'm looking for it. And, you know, immediately, you know, where my mind's thinking, stalls, you know. I check urinal, urinal check, good. I go in, and I remember literally slowly, very nervously opening that stall because I'm like, I, I'm, it's going to be there, it's going to be there. And I remember the door opening, and you remember, you know, like that, you know, there it is. And there's the door, and I remember looking, and I don't even know if you've ever heard this word. My dad would use it, but I'm just going to use it today. To my chagrin, it was clean, <laughs> meaning this, it was good, it was clean. And I remember, I was like, yes, yes, I made it, it's good. And I turned, and on my way out, as I'm walking by, I kind of catch an odor, and I see the sink. Someone had a good, healthy portion of mac and cheese. And the mac and cheese didn't stay down, and it was in the sink. And I remember going, oh, my goodness. So I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I remember talking. She goes, figure it out. Just figure it out. Hurry. There's customers. And, and I remember there's people kind of coming and going. And uh, I got an ice scooper, one of these, like, flat little scoopers. I got an ice scooper and a five-gallon bucket. And so I went in. To the bathroom, and here I am. And I remember saying, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? You know? And what are you trying to teach me? And the Lord's like, I'm humbling you. That's what I'm doing. And so I was scooping out this gnat, and I'm dry heaving and I'm gagging. And as I'm, I'll never forget it, as I was dry heaving and gagging, this one guy comes out of the stall and he looks at me, and I'm just like, don't eat the mac and cheese, you know? <laughs> Oh, and I, my eyes were watering. And I, uh. By the way, no one's eating mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese, so during potluck, if you guys leave it, I'll still eat it. Amen? All right. Oh, it was awful. And you know what I would say this is that the Lord was saying to my spirit is to be a pastor to be in any type of position, to be a Christian. Just to be a Christian, listen to me, is to be a servant. It's to put others before ourselves and sometimes be willing to roll up our sleeves, amen, and get our hands dirty. God, let me say this, God will do things in you before he can do things through you. And that's what God was doing in the life of Joseph. Joseph is going to be given a huge, tremendous responsibility. He's going to be given great power and great privilege. And how will he handle that? I believe that God was disciplining Joseph in this area of being a servant. He allowed him to become a servant so that someday he would become a servant leader. By the way, God wants all of us to be servants. Amen. To look at the needs of others and to find ways to put others before ourselves. May we be like Joseph. May we be like Jesus. May we be willing to humble ourselves and to serve. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer together. Lord.